let's follow along in Hebrews chapter 11 because we've come to these verses. This is in this chapter about faith and we've come to these verses finally um, which can send some fear into our hearts because prior to this, we were looking at heroes of our faith. We looked at Moses and we looked at Abraham and Sarah. And we, we looked recently at Gideon and, 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 and Samson and David. And, and, and we think, wow, you know, to be one of these wonderful um, Bible heroes, you know, Moses got to lead the whole nation out of, out of Egypt, out of slavery. You know, they'd been there for 400 years and, and God used him by faith to bring his people to freedom and bring them to the edge of the promised land. And then Joshua got to bring them across the river and into the promised land. And we think, wow, to be one of these wonderful, you know, uh, disciples of Jesus or followers of God must have been an amazing thing. But then we come to these verses. And the verse that we start with is in verse 35, because it's the very end of the passage about how faith had some fruit in the lives of people we said, we, we said before, their, we, their weaknesses were turned to strength, and they began to see their battles turn in their direction, and God win the battles for them. And even in this one, this one verse 35, it says, women received back their dead, raised to life again. Again, this is a reference to the Old Testament. These people, the Hebrews who this book was written to, knew the Old Testament because it was their scripture. It was what they had been brought up on. They learned these stories in the synagogue. They learned these stories in their home. And they know the stories of Elijah and Elijah, the two prophets, who had come to need the care of some people in their life, a couple that needed a child, and God used the prophet to pray for them, and they, they conceived a child. Years later, when the prophet visited their home, the child had died. He was so sick, he had died. And the prophet was directed by God to go and lay on that child to bring him back to life again, and that's what God did. Well, that happened again in another situation with the other prophet. He, there was a famine in the land, he came across a woman who had some flour and some oil, but only enough to make one more meal for her and her son before they died. And so the prophet asked for that meal and said, don't worry, you know, God's going to take care of you. And that was the woman who, the, the jars of flour and the jar of oil in her house that make bread so that she and her son could live, those jars were never empty during that whole famine. God kept those things going. That was the miracle. But at some point in their life, that child also had contracted an illness and died. And that prophet as well raised that child back and gave him to his mother. So these two references here are from the Old Testament and in the, in the book of, of the kings and in, the, in, in those stories you would find these details. But as this preacher is preaching this, all these details just flood into their mind. They know these stories. These are, these are their stories. These are the stories of their people. And so they've been taught these things well. So that's the sort of the end of the, the earthly rewards that they've been able to receive. And then... In the middle of verse 35, it says, others, now remember, we're talking of people who are being commended for their faith, others commended for their faith, who God, who God lifts up before us and says, these people walked by faith and not by sight, others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings. 
While still others were chained and put in prison, they were stoned, they were sawn in two. I always, as a kid, that always freaked me out. You know, they have those um, magicians who put the lady in the box and they take a song and then they'd separate the box, you know, some kind of magic trick or whatever. This was not for entertainment. This was because Isaiah, in fact, um, historically, Isaiah the prophet, the one who we have this great book of Isaiah, uh, he was sawn in two by an evil king much later in his life as a, as a revenge against him because Isaiah spoke God's word against that king because he was evil. So all of these things are known to these people who are being called to walk by faith. Why is the preacher bringing this up? Why is he, he bringing up the cost, the possible cost of their faith? Because in this life, here and now, we are still living in the midst of what has, is a war zone in many ways. Where there's God's kingdom being revealed to people day by day, but also the enemy pushing back against God's people and bringing persecution and bringing difficulty into their lives. So these were all the people who were commended for their faith. And at the very end of this passage, it says they were commended for their faith. God, God says, you know, these are the people to look up to. They were commended. These are people that I would praise. Even that word could mean praise. But none of them, verse 39 says, received what had been promised. And I would say all of what had been promised. Because they did receive some of what God had promised. But they did not receive all of it. Because verse 40 says, because God had planned something better for us all. So that only together with us would they be made perfect. Now, we've been studying this book of Hebrews for months, and the word better comes up again and again and again. And what is better referring to? Jesus. He's the better sacrifice. He's the better high priest. He's, he's the better intercessor. He's better than Moses. He's better than the law that Moses brought. Jesus is better. So now that Jesus has been revealed, because now we're in the New Testament, and he has already come and lived his life, laid it down for us, been risen in glory, and now ascended to the right hand of the Father, and the Holy Spirit has been given to the church so that God's Spirit resides within them, they now live in a better promise, but they have yet to see it fully perfected in that place with God called eternity, called heaven, that place where there's no more sorrow, no more sin, no more persecution, no more torture. So this is important for him to preach to his people because of where they were in history. I want to do a little history lesson here. But listen to me, just because it's not about you doesn't mean it's not important because it's about your brothers and sisters in Christ who have lived before you, some who are living right now, and in the future, none of us know. We may need these words of encouragement even for ourselves, but God has laid out the price of what it means to walk by faith and put the reward in eternity for his people to be fulfilled in the fullness when we see Christ face to face. So let's look at um, this, this, let me see. I'm not in my notes, I gotta get there so I can give you a little bit of history. 
Jesus said, let's, let's look at the words of Jesus that were, that were read to us this morning when, when Aaron read to us. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart or have courage or be brave for I have overcome the world. These are words of Jesus to his disciples. And his disciples all through the ages have needed to remember that they are in Christ, that they have peace when they are in Christ, even if in the world they're in trouble. All right? We're going to talk a little bit about persecution. We may feel at times that life is difficult for us. Sometimes people don't like us or like our stand in faith. But many of us have never experienced persecution like our brothers and sisters in Christ. In this period of time, when this book was written, when this preacher preached to the Hebrews, the emperor of Rome, Nero, had begun persecuting Christians on the grounds of their disloyalty. He felt like they weren't, they weren't good Romans. And he then chose to blame the great fire of Rome, which happened in 64 AD, on them. To make them public enemy number one, because the fire ravaged that city and many people died and they lost their property, right? So the, 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 the emperor blamed them and this book of Hebrews was written just about three years later. So the persecution was already going in the city of Rome and in the surrounding area. And among those who were put to death under his rule were both the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. The Emperor Nero had them executed. The Apostle Peter, historically, tradition tells us he was uh, decapitated. His head was removed from his shoulders. We don't know how, probably by a sword. And Paul didn't want to be um, hung on a cross. And so he, uh, I, actually I have them switched, sorry. Historically I have them switched. Paul was hung on a cross. But he didn't want to be hung, he didn't feel worthy to be hung in the same way that Jesus was. And so he asked to be hung upside down on a cross. And that's how the apostle Paul died. And the apostle Peter was beheaded. Paul was... Um, a Roman citizen and so he had to be executed uh, in a different way because of his citizenship so Nero was doing this to the leaders of the church because he wanted to destroy this movement of Christianity and he wanted to use it as a scapegoat Nero used people in ways to amuse himself and he had a sick sense of humor he would dress them up uh, in, in animal skins and then feed them to wild dogs uh, in front of people. He would crucify them. So sometimes he would set them on fire on high poles in the streets for street lights. Uh, the Christians became the laughing stock of the Roman Empire. Most of Nero's victims were the elders and pastors of the early church movement. He also went after any other male leader who was leading in the, in the community because he felt they were the biggest threat. So at the height of persecution, it wasn't during Nero's reign. It actually continued after that much later. Actually, uh, there's, a, there's names of these other emperors. I have a slide. Uh, it starts with Nero, but then we've got these other guys who went on and on into AD 150 
in AD 200 and all the way to AD 300, where the persecution just spread throughout the entire empire. In, in Egypt, where there was a large Christian church, over 144,000 people were killed during this reign. The Christian church in that area was decimated. So believing that Christians had somehow profaned the Roman Empire, that somehow they were laughing at the Romans' pagan traditions, they ordered that all Bibles would be burned, that their priests would be demanded to um, renounce their religion, renounce their faith, and that they would, if they didn't renounce their faith, they would be executed. The emperor also prevented Christians from meeting together, even in their homes privately. He prevented them from having any government positions uh, as officials. He also denied them citizenship eventually, removed their citizenship. They could not be Roman citizens. A number of uh, famous saints, including St. Nicholas, um, was persecuted and killed during this reign of terror. But we often think of this as ancient history. But in the year 2021, that's this year, that's the year we're in right now, um, the, the watch group, the Christian watch group that watches and, and tries to help in, in different parts of the world has recorded a woman in I- India who watched her sister get dragged off by Hindu nationals. She doesn't know if her sister is alive or dead anymore. They recorded a man in North Korea prison camp who was shaken awake after he was beaten unconscious just to begin to be beaten again. A woman in Nigeria who ran for her life, she escaped Boko Haram. They had kidnapped her, but now she was pregnant and when she returned home, her own community rejected her and her baby. And a group of children who were laughing and enjoying Easter morning in Sri Lanka came down from their room to the sanctuary just at the time when a bomb went off on Easter morning and several of them were killed. These people live today. These are our brothers and sisters in the world today. They don't live in the same country as us. They don't even live on the same continent, most of them. But they are members of our family. We often come to church and we think about ourselves. What's in it for me today, God? What kind of blessing you got for me today? Remind me of how much you love me today. And we forget about our brothers and sisters all around the globe. When we read a passage like this, a passage that is lifting up and giving us examples to live by, we like the stories that end well on this earth. We like that Daniel in the lion's den was alive the next morning, right? We like that Samson was able to get rid of all the Philistines and, and, and get, get Israel uh, safe again. But we have a hard time with the stories that don't seem to end well here on earth. We forget that the apostles, the original disciples, all were martyred. Except for John, who was imprisoned on an island for the rest of his life. We forget that this is part of our history, that Jesus suffered and he said we will share in his suffering. But then we will also share in his glory. Sometimes now, stories don't always end well. 
the important characteristic of our brothers and sisters is that they love Jesus just as much as we do. And he loves them just as much as he loves us. There is no difference between us. Let me describe for you what persecution is. Persecution is is defined as any hostility which is experienced as a result of just being identified with Jesus Christ, being known as a Christian, being a follower of Jesus. Any hostility. And so from the Sudan to Russia, from Nigeria to North Korea, from Colombia to India, followers of Christianity are targeted for their faith. Even today. Even today. They're attacked. They're discriminated against at work. They don't get the promotion. They don't even get the job sometimes. Sometimes they're denied schooling. They're at risk of of violence and sexual violence and torture and arrest and much more. In fact, in just this past year, Over 340 million Christians experienced some high levels of persecution. Now, we have to say high levels because sometimes there's low levels of persecution where someone just snickers at you, at your faith, or someone, you know, laughs at you or points at you. That's low-level persecution. It still exists. You're still being rejected because of your love for God and love for Christ. But high levels of persecution 4,761 were killed for their faith. 4,488 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked and destroyed and burned and knocked down. 4,277 were denied, they were detained and denied any rights, any civil rights. They have no trial. They can be arrested for no reason. They can be sentenced and imprisoned in different countries and different regions of our world. This is the World Watch list uh, that, that keeps an eye on this and helps us to know how to pray and how to act in ways that will bless our brothers and sisters. As much as these numbers are heartbreaking to us and shocking, they're only numbers until we get to know the people, the person who spends time in prison for their faith. Many years ago, I went on a short-term mission trip to Belarus. Belarus sounds like Belarusia because it's right next door to Russia. And Belarus, as you know, has been in the news this past year because of uh, their dictator and the way that he is um, refusing to leave office and leave room for anyone else to come in and lead that country. Uh, He's not a good man. And we know people personally in Belarus. We've gone there on missions trips. Uh, Our brother Steve goes there very often, um, maybe once a year, to visit with missionaries over there and to to do work uh, alongside with them. Many of you have met Olga. She comes here when she can. She cannot come now because the country won't allow her. Uh, Some of that's because of COVID and some of that's because of persecution. But while reading this chapter, and especially these verses, verse 35 through 40, I was reminded of a story that her husband, Olga's husband, Yasha, shared with me when we were over there on missions. And it was about his father. His father was imprisoned for his faith when he was a young man. 
And so I couldn't remember all the details, and so I, I quickly emailed uh, Yasha and Olga, and I said, can you write up that story you told me when we were there on missions? And so they did. And so I have a letter from our missionaries that we support in Belarus about Olga's father-in-law, and I want to read to you different portions of it. Because it's not just a letter about the past, it leads all the way up to the future, to today. Because today in Belarus, the church that this man and his family started had their church building taken away, and they meet outside in the parking lot. And I want you to hear the story of Leonid. So she writes and says, greetings, Pastor Tom and Holden Chapel. Uh, It's very nice that you will be asking about my husband, Yasha's family, and his father, Leonid. It's quite a true story, a true life story, she says. Yasha, my husband, is a third generation believer through his father and the fourth generation through his mother. His father was a minister and a preacher his whole life. And his wife Maria was the helper of her husband in the ministry and also very engaged in raising their 12 children. During the years of socialism, Christians living in the former Soviet Union were persecuted and hunted. Leonid was born in Belarus in 1939 and he was one of 13 children. He lived all through the Second World War and the the famine that followed. In 1961, he was sentenced for being a youth pastor. And he was in prison for five years. He went to prison at 22 and was released in 27. You see, the church that he was a part of was secretly holding meetings in private homes, the homes of believers. They always met in a different location to be safe. But even though that they were careful, they were followed eventually by the authorities and found. When caught having church, the owner of the house was fined, and the amount of the fine was equal to their yearly income. So think of your yearly income, that's the fine you get for having church in your house. For some of you, that's big. For some, not so big. But yearly income is yearly income, regardless of your socio- socioeconomic level. That's a lot of money to anyone. They were fined for having church in their home, while the rest of the people were put on a list and then examined one by one. Some of them ended up in prison. Most of the young men would end up in prison. So that's what happened to Yasha's father, Leonid, at one of the Sunday services. And after being arrested, they went to his dorm room and confiscated all his belongings. And then he was offered his freedom but only if he denied Jesus Christ. He refused, of course, and after five years in prison with murderers, which was very hard, but God took care of him. In fact, Leonid saw many miracles in prison, not only in his personal life, but in the lives of those around him. And during the time in prison, many of his cellmates also met Jesus. Interesting how God does that, huh? Through his ministry. Some of them later became preachers of the gospel in Belarus. At the age of 27, after prison, he met Maria, his wife, and they got married. And the church to which their family belonged was considered illegal. 
and persecuted by the state authorities. But despite all the difficulties, it withstood all external pressure and exists to this day. Leonid and Maria had a very large family as well, and they taught them all about Jesus. The family not only served the the church faithfully, but they also printed Bibles secretly to give to people, for Bibles were illegal. Police would come and search their home, and as a child, Yasha remembers hiding in the closet when that happened. Leonid developed a model of what a real church should be, and he practiced it in his family. They had their own praise and worship songs, which they learned. They learned to pray and they studied the Bible. And God was real in his family. And God performed incredible miracles in his family. The father saw his children as ministers of the gospel. And many of them became ministers of the gospel. There was a small window of freedom in the 1990s when a few years when, when for a few years it was possible to actually preach in the streets and a new church name, New Life, started from the youth group. New Life Church grew and grew and developed, yet by 2000, the freedom which they had experienced began to decrease and the church was no longer allowed to meet in any rented facilities anywhere in the, in the city anymore. So they began meeting in the woods and in the streets and in a tent And God made it possible eventually for them to buy an old, decrepit cow barn. And she she writes, it became a beautiful house of worship unto God. This is where we worshiped when we were over there on on mission trip. But in 2006, the government tried to confiscate the building. I don't know if you remember, some of you have been around here for a while. We prayed for them during that time because the believers went on a 23-day hunger strike and would not leave the building. They stayed in the building day and night, fasting and praying around the clock for their church. Almost 30 other pastors from all over Belarus came and joined them for that time. And it actually built the church in Belarus and made it stronger because of the unity that they shared. The government backed down at that time and we won our first victory. Praise the Lord. Over the next years, we received many threats and many fines. The fines are now over $500,000 on their senior pastor. They just keep loading up fines. They threaten him. He's Leonard's son, by the way. They threaten him by keep reminding him that his own father spent time in prison for his faith and does he want to follow in his father's footsteps, of which he's not afraid. But then... In February 2020, the government came at us strong, and we completely lost our building. Some of you may have seen the videos. They were cutting through the doors with these big metal uh, saws, these electrical saws. Um, They cut through the doors and took the doors off the hinges so that the government agents could get in. Our church is now declared illegal again in the law. And here's, here's a quote I want you to see. Yet we remain very joyful to be able to meet, at least meet, in the parking lot. It's funny, we spent some time in the parking lot, wasn't it? You know, some days it was hot and we complained. Some days it was windy and we complained. But none of us got arrested. None of us got fined. We had that freedom. And we should not take it for granted. 
As the political and religious situation in our land continues to get worse, she writes, every believer knows it is illegal to come to church and that he or she could be arrested and imprisoned for a very long time. I just talked to Olga, FaceTimed with she and Yasha the other day on Thursday. And uh, she said, there's about 500 of us that come every Sunday. We know we can be arrested, but we're just happy to be together and to rejoice. So the reason why I wanted you to understand this is that it isn't just a history story. It isn't just about other people that we never know, people that live in other places. It's real. And some of what we do, even in supporting our missionaries, is part of the fight against this darkness in the world. The fight to bring Jesus to the heart of people who don't know him. She goes on to write, Every Sunday we continue, but only by God's grace. And God has been so good to us. We pray for our land, the land of Belarus. We pray that everyone would know Jesus, our Savior. So please keep us in your prayers. We love you very much and we miss you. And we're so thankful to God to have brothers and sisters across the ocean who love us and care for us. God bless. It's important for us to hear it. Yes, it's heavy, but it's part of our journey with our family, our brothers and sisters around the world. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. John 15, 8 says, If the world hates you, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. If the world hates you, you know that it also hated me before it hated you. Which is it's an interesting sentence, isn't it? It's like maybe they were complaining or maybe they were wondering about the future and how they would make it. And he's like, Don't worry, they hated me first. Somehow he wins, right? The Hebrews 11 message about God-pleasing faith began with a history lesson in the Old Testament, but ended in their everyday lives because they were facing trouble and hardship and even death for following Jesus. The Hebrew preacher is encouraging his church to focus on the future promises of God while they persevere and while they suffer. I want to read through the the end of chapter 10 that led to chapter 11. We're kind of wrapping up chapter 11, but I I, I want to reconnect it with the text. The end of chapter 10, starting in verse 32, it says, and we'll put it on the screen here, because there's different translations. It says, remember those early days after you'd received the light? I like that phrase, the light. I hope you received the light of Jesus Christ. But remember those early days after you received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insults and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. I want us to stand side by side with our brothers and sisters. I want us to be like these people. You suffered along with those who were in prison. 
and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Do you know that? I think our brothers and sisters do. I'm not always sure we remember that. Do you know you have better and lasting possessions in Jesus Christ? So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, scripture says, but my righteous ones will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one that shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. A very confident verse there. We don't belong to those who shrink back. But we are among those who have faith. And our faith saves us. God's word is powerful. Part of the key to make it through difficult times that our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted and who have been throughout history The key to making it through is perseverance, believing in the future. In fact, if you now look at the beginning of chapter 13, I'm sorry, chapter 11, I get my numbers mixed up. The beginning of chapter 11, after we've finished this whole hall of fame of of faith and seen the glory of God revealed in these people's lives, even in their deaths. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Verse two, and let us, let's read it, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him Endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The key is keep our eyes on Jesus. No matter what you're going through, and not all persecution has to be government, church persecution. It can be very personal. Whatever suffering you're going through, keeping your eyes on Jesus is the key. In fact, one author who writes about this, who went through it themselves, said, my secret to suffering is anticipating eternity. In other words, not focusing on this moment, but anticipating eternity. Staying focused on it and seeing my life in this world through the lens of like a short-term mission trip, but not my home. I don't know how many of you have gone on short-term mission trips, but they're a week, maybe two, maybe three. I've been on several in my life. I think the longest was almost a month. But I knew I was going home afterwards. I didn't actually buy a house there. 
buy a car, set up a foundation. You know, I, I, I came home to my home. Well, the key to us making it through and the key to our brothers and sisters making it through persecution is to keep their eyes on the prize, to keep their eyes on Christ. This perspective gives us a supernatural peace. It gives some purpose even to our suffering. If you think about Leonid, Leonid, the purpose of those five years in prison was to share Christ with the prisoners, the murderers that he was in there with. Imagine, you know, you get arrested for having a youth group and you're put in a prison with a bunch of murderers. That's a little scary to me. But he knew God and he knew God was greater. And he knew that over time, if he shared Christ with these people, that the gospel would have an effect. And many of those people went on to become ministers of the gospel. So the purpose in his five years of suffering was to bring more into the kingdom and then to bring even more into the kingdom. It's a multiplication that takes place. So this perspective helps us to see that even in suffering, we can grow to be more like Christ and grow to bring about the kingdom of God here on earth that has an eternal legacy in heaven. As Christians, our model for suffering will always be Christ, his death on the cross. And as I read, we are called in Hebrews to fix our eyes on him. So my question for you and for me is, are our eyes fixed on Jesus? Or do we keep getting distracted by the stuff in this world? Even the yucky stuff, even the hard stuff. Because the key is to get our eyes back on Jesus. That's part of our job in each other's lives, you know. Sometimes you just can't lift your own head. It's just too heavy. Whatever situation you've been through, whatever suffering you've carried, you're just weary and broken. And you need brothers and sisters in the spirit to come alongside and to lift your head. To say, "Let's, let's look to Jesus. I don't have the answers either, but let's look to Jesus. He has the answers. He knows the way. In fact, he is the way. So our role in each other's lives is is not to fix each other, but to get each other to fix our eyes on Jesus. It's a different kind of fix, because only Jesus can fix us. Jesus kept his focus on his Father in heaven. In fact, Jesus, when he had to face the cross, he asked, can this cup of suffering, can it it pass by me? Then he said, "But, but not my will. Not what I want, but what you want. And he focused on the purpose to bring salvation to you and me. The purpose was to be able to bring cleansing, forgiveness, joy, peace, hope, eternity to you and me and to all those who call on his name. So I'd like to pray for us. And it's about our perspective. It's about where we focus. I'd like us to share in the suffering with our brothers and sisters, to pray for them, to make sure that we don't make church all about us, but we realize we're part of something bigger than us. The beauty of God is that God is other-focused. God could just be selfish, I guess, and just be all about him, but he chose to become others-focused. The problem, the ugliness in us is that we are self-focused. We forget that we are to be like God, which is others-focused. 
So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to continue to do his work in us, to continue to transform us and to make us more like him. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. God, help us to know what that looks like. Help us to understand how to fix our eyes on you. And help us to know how to encourage others to do the same. Thank you for brothers and sisters around the world, like Leonid. Thank you for his family and the continued struggle that they're in in Belarus. We lift them up before you. We ask you to continue to strengthen them. We see their joy and we almost don't understand it. We know there is joy even in the midst of their suffering. Teach us by their faith. Show us how to hold on to joy when things don't go our way and when we're suffering. We know the key is Christ. Give us his perspective. And we thank you for his word. Lord, without your word, we'd be lost. We, we would just be trying to figure stuff out on our own. But we have your precious word before us day and night. We can open it at any moment and seek your wisdom and seek your presence. And so we bless you. We thank you. We thank you for blessing us. Help us to be a blessing to others. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.